Take our Bibles this morning and go to Romans chapter 4. And when you're at Romans chapter 4, put your finger there and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I believe I saw Pastor Hobie's dad here today. Is that Mr. Hobie back there? Good to see you, my friend. Glad that you're here up visiting from the south. And um, it's always an honor to have you. Romans 4 and Hebrews 11. Uh, many of you knew Pastor Leach, who shepherded in this area for quite a long time. Uh, this morning, Pastor Leach is worshiping in the presence of our Lord. Uh, he went home to be with the Lord this weekend, and uh, we couldn't be more thrilled for him. But I think we need to remember his dear wife and his daughter Debbie uh, in our prayers uh, as they mourn the loss of Pastor Leach. Right. You may not have a Bible to go to Romans chapter 4 or Hebrews chapter 11. Our ushers are ready to give you one if you need one. Just slip up your hand. Maybe you have the Bible on your device, uh, and that's fine as well. Uh, but let's look at these two passages uh, together. First of all, Hebrews chapter 11. And let's look here together this morning, just real briefly in Hebrews chapter 11 at verse number 6. Hebrews 11 and verse number 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. What's really interesting to me, in addition to that announcement in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, is that there's 26, I believe, Old Testament characters listed in this great chapter of faith that tell us that people in the Old Testament came to God through Jesus Christ the same way in the New Testament we come to God through Jesus Christ. They all came by faith. They all came by faith. And the writer of Hebrew tells us here that without faith you cannot Please God. Now, we've studied together in Romans chapter 3, and as we went through our review of Romans chapter 4 last week, that faith in the scriptures is different than we would understand the way the word is used today in our culture. I would say the majority of people that you run into in town, that you know as friends in town, would all say that in times of struggle or difficulty, that it would be their faith that they would hold on to. Most people would say that they have a faith of some kind. The faith that the Bible talks about is not just a faith that keeps us during difficulty. It's a supernatural gift granted to us by the grace of God that's only enjoyed when we turn from our sin, place our faith in Jesus Christ alone, and it not only keeps us strong in difficulty, it's capable to save us for all of eternity. There's a big difference between religious faith and saving faith. Religious faith may indeed, your religious principles and ideals may be able to calm your heart in a time of temporary storm on this earth. But only the faith that comes as a gift from God can settle your soul both for now and eternity. Amen. And it's been that way 
ever since sin came into our world. Clear back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The announcement of how men now separated from God in sin. How does man find their way back to God? Has always been the same from the day that man fell into sin. It would be through, in the Old Testament, either faith in Jesus Christ who was to come. Or in the New Testament, it's faith in Jesus Christ who's already come. And born our sin on the cross. Died, buried, rose again, and ascended, and is coming again. These by faith individuals listed here in Hebrews chapter 11, they all had faith in Christ to come. Most people in this room have faith that's been gifted to them by the grace of God in Jesus Christ who's already come and is coming again. The way to find our way back to God is exclusively through Jesus Christ, not a pastor, not a priest, not a church, definitely not through your good works, not through your philanthropy, not through you being the employee of the month or the year or of the decade, not through you donning a t-shirt that calls you the greatest dad or the greatest grandpa that ever lived. All those things are wonderful things, but they're not saving things. When Jesus said, you must be born again, he was speaking to a very religious man who was very well known in the community, both religiously and politically. And he told that standout citizen of Jerusalem, you must be born again. You must have new birth on the inside. You must not just have religious faith, you must have saving faith. As we go back over to Romans chapter 4 now, the word faith is peppered throughout these 25 verses. As a matter of fact, last week when we gave an overview of this chapter, we divided this chapter up into three sections. All right? Three sections that were in the middle, in between an introduction in verses 1 and 2, and a conclusion in verses 21 to 25. So if you're keeping notes from last week, our introduction is verses 1 and 2. Our first major heading is in verses 3 through 12. And we simply titled that, Our righteousness is by faith, not works. Our righteousness is by faith, not works. The next section we have here is in verses 13 to 16. And we find out that our promise, the promise that God gives us, is by grace and not the law. In other words, the promises that God gives us are given to us by God, and they're given to us when we don't deserve them. That's by grace and not by keeping rules, religious rules. Our promise is by grace, not by the law. And finally, if we are to enjoy any spiritual progeny, any spiritual descendants, those who would also be uh, in the faith, if you will, again, not religious faith, but in the faith that only God provides through Jesus Christ, our progeny will exist only by faith. And that's verses 17 to 21, and our conclusion is verses 22 to 25. Now I will tell you, it is my intention to get through all of this uh, today, uh, but 
I do not intend to take away from the power of each well-developed testimony that will be given in the baptisms. Because uh, they are six, they will be six illustrations to you of this text that we're preaching. And uh, I want to give God his opportunity to work through these sweet saints uh, as well. Now, go with me through these three sections here. Verses 3 to 12 first, and let's find this word faith or form of the word faith. You'll see it here in verse number 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, underline the word believed. That's a form of the word faith. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Go down to verse 5. But to the one who does not work but believes. Right? Another form of the Greek word faith. In him who justifies the ungodly. His faith. There it is again for the third time in this section. Is credited as righteousness. Okay? Is credited as righteousness. Now go down to verse number 9. Following this little discussion of the life of David. And how he came to God through Christ by faith. In verse 9, is this blessing then to be the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, there is the word again, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Go down to verse 11. It says here, and he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe, there it is again, another form of that word, without being circumcised. Go down to verse 12. And the father of circumcision to those who not only as of the circumcision, but also follow the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Okay. Now, there's quite a few mention, mentions there of the form of the word faith just in verses 3 to 12. Now let's go down to our second section here where we realize that our promise or the promises that God gives us spiritually are by grace and not the law through faith as well. Verse 13 through 16, we'll find four more uses of this word faith at the end of verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or his, to, to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. In other words, if you're going to get to heaven through good works by following the law and you're heirs of the law, then there's no need. You don't have faith in your life because you're trusting the law and not saving faith. You're trusting your good works. Verse 16, for this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace. There it is. Our promise, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ are given to us by grace, something that we don't deserve also through faith. Okay. Go down to verse 17 to 21 now. Let's discuss our spiritual descendants. Are we going to have any children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren who are going to be of this supernatural kind of faith, this faith that is required in order to please God? Verse 17 as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, as he speaks to Abraham, quoting Genesis chapter 15, in the presence of him whom he believed. There's a form of that word again. Go down now to verse 19. 
without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Go down to verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. There it is again. Go down to our conclusion now in verse number 24. But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe, there's a form of that word again, in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he also was delivered over because of our transgressions and raised because of our justification. So from Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 26 Old Testament living historic illustrations of what saving faith was, telling us that the way people were born again or saved in the Old Testament is the same way we are using now. Now in Romans chapter 4, we have one of those 26 members from Hebrews 11 uh, given a whole chapter here in a New Testament context telling us that the same way we come to God, the same way we're made right with God is the same way that they were in the Old Testament, and we're given that illustration right here in the New Testament context. And we divided up the three sections, and we showed you every place where that word faith is used in each section to underpin that reality. All right? Now, that is a six-minute drink from a fire hose. Right? We're just tearing down the text, and we've only just begun. So for those of you who are newer to Grace Church, uh, I want you to understand that we have some goals here. We want to love the Lord more. We want to love his word, the Bible more. We want to love each other more. And we definitely want to love those who need Jesus Christ more and more. The reason why we exist and the reason why we live are for those, uh, those goals, those aspirations. And you may be here this morning and you say, I'm a religious person. I am a person of faith. And I would agree with you. You probably are. Why would I deny what you're saying? But I would also like to share from you from God's heart, from his word, which is his heart, that religious faith can carry you temporarily, but it cannot care for you eternally. Without Bible-saving faith, you cannot please God. So how do we, how do we know what this faith is? We have to understand what gospel faith is all about. I could share with many here who are here this morning uh, that have been with us for years the gospel, and you would say, yep, I get it. I could share for some of you I've never even met before what the gospel is, and you would say, possibly, yeah, I understand that. Here's the gospel. Right? It'd be good to write this in the margin of your Bible. Right there next to Romans chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. This is the gospel. God in human flesh came. That's Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. Number two, he died a sacrificial death. He was sacrificed for your sin and my sin. Isaiah 53 all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to their own way. And God hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin, the transgression of all of us. You and me, we killed Jesus. But isn't it wonderful that he came 
to take all of our sin on himself so that we wouldn't have to die that kind of death. God in flesh came, that's Jesus. That's his condescension, that's his birth, that's why we celebrate Christmas, right? God in flesh came. He lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, he was buried, and the supernatural omnipotence of God via the Holy Spirit, Christ rose again, conquering the effects of sin, which is death, proving to all mankind that Jesus was a capable Savior. He was the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the whole world. Yours and mine, everybody's. And even though that global sin put him in the ground, only omnipotence, all powerfulness could, could erase the effects of sin on a human body, which is death, and raise that body from the grave, to walk on the earth for 40 days, visibly testifying to all that knew of him before his death and who he was, that he was indeed Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who had come to take away the sin of the world. And 40 days after his resurrection, he ascends with a promise. Now what? Don't fear, I'm leaving you, but I will come again in the same way in which I'm leaving. I'm leaving in the clouds. I will come again in the clouds. And John 14 says at that moment, he'll receive unto him all of those who are of the faith. Not all of those who have religious faith, but those who are of the faith, which simply means, again, apart from my church, my pastor, my priest, my good works, all those who place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone and realize that he died for their sin and we turn from our sin and cry out to mercy for God. Oh God, save me. I believe who Jesus is. I want to own him as my Lord and my Savior. At that moment, the Bible says, you're loved with an everlasting love of no human work of your own or no religious work of anyone outside yourself. Isn't that what he says here in verses 1 and 2? Let's look at that together. Simple questions, right? Remember last week? What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified, if he was made right with God by works, he has something to brag about. But he can't brag before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed in the Christ who was to come. And what did God do? And it was credited to him for righteousness. Simple belief. He took the facts of what he knew. He internalized those facts. Right? And then he said, I do to the Lord. It's that simple. That's what being born again is. It's an omnipotent, internal transformation that changes the way we think and the way we live and gives us hope. So what do we realize, first of all, this morning in our first point? Our righteousness is by faith and not by works. Verses 3 to 12, we've already read a couple times together. 
Paul uses here the example of Abraham, who is not just the father of a Jewish nation. He's the father of, father of all those who would come to please God through faith. Okay. How did he get this righteousness? He believed. He just believed. Didn't work have something to do with gaining God's approval? Didn't being a good person have something to do with putting a smile on God's face? And, and Paul's answer is absolutely not. Because the Old Testament says our works are as filthy rags in God's sight if we're not first in Jesus Christ. Sin separates us from God. We're brought back to God through Jesus Christ alone. And when we're in Jesus Christ, then our works are able to please God. See, our human works can please all kinds of people, can't they? Our human works, my human works, yours do every day. We're seeking to please people. And that's okay. But those works that we seek to do to please people cannot please God until God sees us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? I love going through Twitter every day. And not, not all day, at least part of my day. And I love seeing uh, doctors get awarded for something that they've discovered or found by way of a cure or a partial cure. I love seeing teachers get rewarded for their faithful work. I love seeing winners of marathons. I love seeing people get awarded. Give honor to those who honors do. The Bible says that. There's nothing wrong with all those things, but we must understand while those things might put a smile on our friends and family's faces, they don't put a smile on God's face until we're his child. All to tell us that our works can't save because there's one person who came in human history whose work could save. So I just ask you this question. If our works that put a smile on our friends' and family's faces could bring pleasure to God and our works could save us, then why did Jesus come anyway? What God in his right mind would sacrifice his only begotten son and be brutally murdered like our Savior was beyond human recognition. What God in his right mind would sacrifice his son if the people he came to die for could work their way to heaven? Jesus wasted his time. He wasted his time. Oh, my friends, but he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. Right? Because he died for you and for me. He took our place so that we could live eternally. Right? So, this is what we realize from verses three to, three to five, three to 12, excuse me. There's a word in here that I want to draw all of our attention to. Right? Verse five, but to the one who does not work but believed in him who justifies the, what? Ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. Now, I was taught by my grandfather who loved the Lord, my mom's dad. Sometimes you share truth with people even if you know it's going to hurt their hearts because you know you love them. And they know that you love them. Right? 
I just need to tell everyone here. And we've got some really, really tremendous folks here in our church. And I know guests this morning. Every one of us fits underneath the umbrella of this term ungodly. There's no way you can find your way to God until you first see yourself as a sinner. And that you realize Jesus died for you. As soon as you realize that, and you realize that sacrifice was sufficient to pay for the penalty of all your sin and all your darknesses, then you're ready to look to the author and finisher of your faith who is Jesus Christ and say, wow, I believe. I believe. There's not one person in this room that would want all the dark secret thoughts that you've ever had in your life put on a screen before all of us to see, would you? Say, I'm a good person, I'm a good citizen, I'm this, I'm that and the other, yes, but in your darkest hour, I had a professor that said, you know, really what you are in your character is what you are when the lights are off. When you're all by yourself and you're all alone, You look past in the rear view mirror of your life and you really are honest with who you are in your own soul. No one here could confidently stand and say, I am completely perfect. All of us are indicted, aren't we? All have gone astray. All fall short of the glory of God. And we stand in need of a righteousness that's not our own, that is by faith and not works. By faith and not works. Verses 13 to 16. Our promise by grace and not the law are promised by grace and not the law. This section is basically going to be discussing the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ that come our way as they did Abraham. Again, four times the word faith is used in these short verses. How did Abraham gain the inheritance and the promise that God had given and promised to him that we discussed last week? The answer, to the righteousness of faith. Why couldn't this righteousness come through the law? Verses 14, because no one, and 15, because no one could keep the law. No one's a perfect law keeper. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. In verse 15, the greatest blessing. But where there is no law, there is no violation. In other words, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he was the perfect law keeper. Jesus never sinned. He kept the law perfectly. So when you own him, that's the way God looks at you. He looks at you as a perfect law keeper, not because you are, but because you owned he who is. Does that make sense? So when God looks at you, he no longer sees you. He sees his son, the perfect law keeper. So there's no violation anymore. You're perfect in Jesus Christ and not your own works. Why? Verse 16, so that by grace, through faith, Abraham became the father of us all. And this remains the promise for us 
in all of our efforts of gospel proclamation. God desires to give us the same thing that he gave Abraham by faith. A spiritual progeny. A spiritual progeny. Those who would come to God by faith the same way we did in Jesus Christ. And it will be the next time we're together in Romans chapter 4 that we'll discuss verses 70 to 21. Because there's five virtues of saving faith here that we need to hunker down and investigate that will show us that saving faith is uniquely different and distinct from religious faith. All right? Five virtues we'll look at the next time we're together. Let's pray.